Hi, I'm Nyla Boodoo, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. It's Wednesday, October 13th, and today we're focused on poverty. In 2020, the U.S. poverty rate declined as a result of stimulus checks and unemployment aid, according to the Census Bureau. What also helped in the decline? There was also an increase in cash programs from charities. And that money went to good use, from feeding families to building up assets for future generations. But that wasn't the case in developing countries. Poverty rates spiked during the pandemic. Could cash in hand be a long-term solution to help end poverty? In a moment, Axios' future correspondent, Brian Walsh, on how philanthropic organizations are using cash assistance and what cash can't fix. And we're joined now by Axios' future correspondent, Brian Walsh, who's been reporting on one possible new antidote to poverty. Hey, Brian. Hey, how's it going? Brian, let's start with just what poverty looks like, not just in the U.S., but across the world, considering the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, poverty in the U.S., as you noted, actually did fall during COVID-19. But around the world, people living in extreme poverty, and that's defined as people living on less than $1.90 a day per person, really actually surged. And it, it reached 588 million people. And that was an uptick of tens of millions of people from the year before the pandemic. And that should be notable because we'd seen extreme poverty really decline for decades. Given that, How are philanthropic organizations, we've been talking about government support, how is the world of philanthropy moving to providing cash assistance? So the world of philanthropy is beginning to understand that one of the fastest, most efficient ways to help people who are very, very poor is to give them money. And that might sound obvious. And certainly that's what we were doing in the United States during COVID. But that's not been something that philanthropic organizations have done usually. The sense has been that teach a man to fish rather than give him a fish. That's more lasting. But what they're discovering is that one of the great advantages of cash assistance is that you can get money to people very quickly if you can identify who really needs it. You're not wasting any time with sort of figuring out what kind of products they need. You're just getting the money when they need it. And it turns out that even the poorest people in the world, they know how to use that money. They're not wasting it on things they don't need. They're using it to feed their families. They're using it to educate their children. They're using it sometimes to build up assets. So we were already seeing that turn begin to happen in global philanthropy for the pandemic. But I think the pandemic, in part because of the success in the United States and other developed countries that really adopted cash aid for their own citizens, we've seen that that can also work in the poorest countries of the world. How did UBI, universal basic income, affect the philanthropic world? I think UBI was sort of an out there idea at first, the idea of just giving money to people, no strings attached. I think there was a sense that, well, are you discouraging people from working? Do they really need this money? Um, But what the pandemic showed is that we performed so much better during the pandemic in terms of cushioning the economic blow of a catastrophe than we did in 2008 because we didn't waste time in trying to figure out who really needed this or, or turds to figure out what should they give them, what shouldn't they be given. Instead, it was just, all right, get the money to the people who need it, ensure they can stay in their homes, they can obviously buy food for their families. And that really worked. Not only did poverty drop, but we actually saw hunger drop as well. And that's really extraordinary. That was not what we were expecting when we saw the pandemic being to happen. So I think what this tells us is that the positive effects of just having cash, getting it to the hands of people who need it, something that can be regular and sort of counted on the way of UBI, yes, it might have some downsides. You know, we have to figure out the politics of it as well. 
But the idea that money wouldn't go to good use, that it wouldn't go to helping those people in need, I really do believe increasingly that idea is out the window. We understand that this is actually a very effective way to just get aid to people and not to waste time, but just to give money. That's what works. I want to get to the downsides in a minute, but first I want to ask you, you look specifically at one nonprofit, Give Directly. What's so unique about how they are doing this versus the way we've talked about how governments have done this? Give Directly is one of the first nonprofits to really focus almost entirely on direct cash giving, and they've mostly done that work in developing nations. They had projects in Kenya, in Togo, other countries where you have really high levels of extreme poverty. And they found that they could get $1 of donation, let's say. They can get 90 cents or more of that directly into the hands of those who need it. That's a really high efficiency level compared to most other charities that might be focusing on giving health goods, helping people with education, any number of other things. All of that's really important. But the reality they discovered was that you know, poverty is because you don't have enough money. And if you can get that money out to people and not waste a lot of it on overhead if you can find who needs it. So they sort of pioneered this after different kinds of natural disasters, but they also realized this is something that can work in terms of laying a foundation for helping people get out of the worst kind of poverty because if they have that money, it has amazing effects for both for families, for the community, because there's then more money to go around beyond just those who get it, but they can build up assets that over time will take them out of extreme poverty, not move them into the middle class, but get them on their feet and in a way that actually has lasting effects. How did they find these people? How did these charities identify people? In Togo, actually, they did something really fascinating where they used satellite imagery to look for telltale physical signs of poverty. One thing is if you have a thatched roof on your home rather than a metal roof, that's indicative of being at a higher level of poverty. If you look at uh, mobile phone records, people who tend to make very local, very short calls, that's another sign that you know, you're know you in a high state of, of poverty. So they were able to do that and identify those people, use algorithms to kind of try to find out, okay, who's in the greatest amount of need, all of which can be done much more quickly than having to go door to door with surveys, and then use mobile phone payment systems, just get the money out to them very quickly. That was especially important during the pandemic, because you couldn't do that kind of hands-on, door-to-door surveys that they would depend on in the past. So this has been a really efficient way, and it might be something you can use for the future, not just, again, in developing countries, but in the United States as well. And they have a U.S. program, actually, that it wasn't the first time they've done this in the U.S., but it was by far the biggest one. Starting with a the pandemic, they started giving out $1,000 to families in need, beginning in New York, I believe, on the West Coast, then kind of expanding beyond that. And in that case, they actually worked with a company that helps manage food stamps for people. So right there, that gives you a sense, okay, this is a family that clearly is in need. You can send the money out via that system, get straight to them. In that case, the efficiency was even greater. Something like 98 to 99 cents of every dollar donated to give directly for the U.S. program got directly into the pockets of, of people who need it. And in the end, I think they got it out to something like 178,000 or so families are going to continue to do that in the months ahead. And it was really helpful in getting people through kind of gaps of need, like maybe the aid from the federal government had not arrived yet. Maybe they were worried about losing their house or not being able to feed their children. That $1,000 was a real godsend. And it also helped draw attention to this whole concept of direct cash giving. And they ended up getting tens of millions of dollars in donations that they then can feed into people living in really extreme poverty in other parts of the world. And is it clear that that cash payment to someone in need from a charity has the same result that government programs have had? 
I'm not sure how you can compare and contrast. I mean, clearly this is a tiny amount of money compared to, you know, this is something like $178 million or so maybe have been given so far by Give Directly in the US. Doesn't compare it obviously what the federal government can bring to bear in terms of resources. But I think it's a good example of the effectiveness of it and also the ability to get it to, to people who might be suffering from a disaster. For instance, the first time they really started doing this in the US was after major hurricanes. They found much faster to give people money than to try to give them goods, which is often the case of, you know, often what happens in the aftermath of a disaster. So I think what this shows is that if it works on a smaller scale for philanthropy, there's every reason it should be able to work on a much larger scale for the government when you do have those billions and billions of dollars to potentially spend. What are the downsides here, Brian? Some of the downsides are concerned that if you don't give money to everyone, is there going to be a problem where some people get money, others don't, they, they get angry at community members who have gotten money, they feel they've been left out. That's definitely an issue. Although some studies that give directly have done indicates that that problem is not that great, that the money does spread out throughout the community. I think another is a sense of how ultimately sustainable this is. You can obviously give money to people that will help in the short term. Will they be able to use it over the long term? Signs indicate that that's the case, but is this something that can go on year after year? Is there really the political will to do that on a grander scale? And then I think as important as cash is, you know, that people do have other needs. There are structural issues that are keeping people in poverty, both in developing countries and in the US. Cash is not going to do anything about that. You know, it's not going to help people get a better education immediately. It's not going to help dismantle systems of, of structural racism that might keep them in poverty. So we shouldn't forget those sides of the equation as well. But when it comes to just, okay, what is the most efficient way to help people really, really quickly? It turns out it is cash indeed. Brian, of course, the biggest problems with poverty are often structural and systems. How has the pandemic shown that and how might these cash payments obscure or not fix those problems? I think the pandemic really illustrates that access to really life-saving medicines is key to helping people get out of poverty. In this case, it's the COVID-19 vaccine. The fact that we've seen such a surge in poverty in the developing world is in large extent due to the fact that not the so much the virus and what the damage the virus is doing, but you can't carry out a normal economy if people aren't vaccinated. And while getting $1,000 or getting however much money from a, a group like Give Directly or from a government is very helpful in dealing with the short-term effects of that, we're not going to really see these countries get back to growing as fast as they could until they can get access to that vaccine. So that's perhaps an argument for some of that money going to fixing the really poor vaccine equity problem that we face right now. And also there are other issues as well. I mean, something like malaria, for instance, which I wrote about not too long ago, doesn't just kill people, but it actually has a really strong impact on holding back economic growth. Again, that's a situation where cash will help you become less poor in the short term. But if you're constantly worried about something like malaria, well, maybe getting a medicated bed net or research or into a really effective malaria vaccine, which thankfully might actually be on the way, that would actually have a bigger long-term impact than just cash. I think the important thing to remember here is that when it comes to just helping people in an emergency, cash is very effective, it's very efficient. But when we're thinking about how do we change the world over the course of decades, that's important, but we also have to think about trade policy, we have to think about health, we have to think about politics and democracy as well. All of that has to come together. So there will definitely be room for other philanthropic and foreign aid approaches beyond just giving cash. Axios Future Correspondent Brian Walsh. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Welcome back. Here's what we're watching today. Star Trek star William Shatner at age 90 
became the oldest person to go to space today. In an emotional speech after his Blue Origin flight landed, he said it was an experience everyone should have. You can hear more about that tomorrow on our morning podcast, Axios Today. And we're done. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we're back tomorrow with another Axios recap.